You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. It's great to see all of you here. There are a number of you who I don't recognize. My name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor. On behalf of our church family, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to you. And if you are a guest with us or if you haven't been coming very long, you may not know that we have um, started this fall studying the book of Genesis. And we started in the very beginning of the beginning. And we progressed through until this last month where we very deliberately switched gears and focused on Advent and had an Advent series together. But now we return to our study of the book of Genesis. And so with that in mind, we do appreciate that there are some of you, probably a number of you, who maybe weren't here for the first part of this Genesis series. And for the rest of us who have been, this is gonna really be a major reset for us once again as we dive into the series. So we thought that we would catch all of us up and and really prime us for what we're about to look at here in Genesis 12. So we're gonna show you a video that's put out by the Bible Project and we've shown a number of these videos. They're, They're so fantastic in how they introduce and help you understand the overall theme of the Bible as well as the overall theme and focus of each book of the Bible. And we're gonna show you the second one that they have developed for Genesis because this is a hinge point where we land here today. So we're gonna catch you up here in about five minutes and then we'll jump off into Genesis 12. So let's go ahead and show that video. We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it 
from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat. And his brothers, because of this, come to hate him. So much so that they plan on killing him. But they don't. They instead just sell him as a slave down in Egypt. Now, while in Egypt, through this crazy series of events, Joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there. And so later on, the the whole Middle East falls into this food shortage. And Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. And then when they get there, who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother, but God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer. Boy, those are so very well done, and they're free, and they're intended to be that way and accessible for you. So I encourage you to go and watch those videos and to soak those in. They have one on every book of the Bible, on major themes in the Bible. They're just fantastic. And we just got caught up to where we're gonna be here today. So as we prepare to dive into the end of chapter 11 and then chapter 12, this is what I want you to watch for. So how's the plan going? Because remember, there's this promise out of Genesis chapter three, verse 15, when sin and death and brokenness entered the world through Adam and Eve's choice to not follow God, but to see and take for themselves, one was promised in Genesis 3.15 who was going to make all things right, who was gonna restore shalom the way God always intended things to be and that this person is promised to come. This, this person is going to be the Messiah, the chosen one, the promised one, the redeemer and he's gonna come through this family that we're about to look at. So how's the plan going as we pick up here at the end of chapter 11? So this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. So Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. 
And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Now if you remember the previous chapters of Genesis, as this family line continues to be traced, things seem to keep going from bad to worse in the world. And this family is this beacon of hope that this is the family through which God is going to raise up this deliverer who's gonna make all things right, who's gonna redeem and restore and repair things. Okay, so with that in mind, we now come to the end of chapter 11. How's the plan going? Not real well. This candle of hope that's been flickering now seems to have gone out. There is no descendant coming from Abram and Sarai. She's, she's childless. And now she's well beyond childbearing years. She's about 65 years old. So how is that gonna work? And if that wasn't enough, the family overall does not seem to be doing real well because Abram's dad, Terah, was on the way to Canaan, which at, in the next chapter here is gonna be promised to Abram, although Abram doesn't know that. And about halfway, as we can determine archeologically to Canaan, he stops. He gets about halfway there and settles in this pagan culture, this polytheistic culture where many gods are now worshiped. And there's some debate about this. In fact, I was talking with some of the preaching team after this last service as, as we were processing this together. We don't know for sure if this is a commentary or not on Terra stopping halfway. I'm in the camp that it is. That when it says he settled there, it means there was compromise involved. Instead of going all the way to his destination in Canaan, he kind of settles. And if that is the case, he is deliberately putting up to be a contrast to Abram, who as we're about to see, is going to do exactly what God tells him to do. And there is no halfway point for him. He's gonna go the full distance of trusting and following God with where he tells him to go. But what's interesting to me is if we fast forward in the Bible to, um, to Joshua chapter 24, this is right before the people are going to enter Canaan, the promised land at that point. And look what Joshua deliberately does. He reminds them and calls them to remember their history with what we're about to study now. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father, Abraham, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. My friends, right out of the gate here, this is a really clear statement that happens over and over and over again in God's word. There is always hope in a God who keeps his promises and does exactly what he says he will do. Because as we read here in chapter 11, it sure doesn't seem like he's keeping his promise. In fact, it looks like all hope is lost. And some of you are in that place right now in your life. You are in a place in your life where you look at what's going on in your life and it feels like God has walked off the scene. Some of you are going toe-to-toe with life-threatening illnesses and diseases right now. Where's, where's God in that? Some of you have lost your job and you don't know where the next one's gonna come from and, and you're in a tough spot. 
Where's God in that? Some of you having just spent time with family have been reminded of how dysfunctional your family is too. And there's brokenness there and maybe it's even worse than you thought it was. And we could go on and on, but it's not a question of if, the question is when. Brokenness will invade your life in some way, shape, or form through circumstances or your own life choices or what have you, and you're gonna be forced to deal with this as am I. God, really? Are you really working your plan through this? Are you really still there? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. And this is an absolute foundational statement and promise to us that God is still at work. He was then, he is now. You may look at your life right now and say, man, this, can this get any harder? And where is God in all this? And this promise that we're reminded of is God is always at work, even when it doesn't look like it. His will is ultimately going to prevail. He answers prayer, even when it sometimes feels like he doesn't. He brings good out of the worst of circumstances. He overcomes evil with good, and ultimately, he is going to get his way. Ultimately, his plan and his purposes will prevail. Do you believe that? Because his word declares that you can and you should. Because look what happens next. The Lord appears to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tea of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, or another way to say that, to your seed, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Something fascinating happens here. God calls Abraham and then Abraham calls upon God which is Old Testament language of he believes and that's how it goes people don't seek God God is always seeking us God is always calling us once again it is not coincidence that you are here this morning there's a God who is at work in your life, whether you and I acknowledge him or not, and once again, he is calling you into relationship with himself. And notice what the basis of that is. Let's look at Abram's life. What did Joshua point the people back to? Where did Abram come from? And we don't know this for sure. It never says that he was polytheistic, but he probably was. He was probably worshiping multiple gods in that pagan culture that he and his family had settled into. 
We don't know that for sure, but reasonably, probably so, he was. So it wasn't his resume that landed him in relationship with God. It wasn't his pedigree. It was the reality that God came to him and he responded. And the same is the reality for me and you. Once again, God comes to you this morning and he is calling you into relationship with him. And you have to decide how you're going to respond. And we looked at this reality last week with Gary Brashears as we were wrapping up our Advent series. What does this really look like? Well, this is what it looks like. There is a conviction involved with this, which is really the reality that what you're hearing this morning is for you. Confession involves the next step in that of realizing this is not only for me, I, I need this. I need this God, the one true God in my life. And repentance is literally changing your mind about who he is and what is truly important in your life. And then finally, it's accepting. Accepting that this is real. That God is real. That he is calling you and that you're gonna respond to that by trusting and believing in him, entrusting yourself to him, and then choosing to trust him each step of your life. Now, this is a process, but this can also happen in a moment, which is what happened with me. When I was in high school, I went to a camp, and many of you know this, this um, story about me. I went to this camp, you know, really as a last opportunity to spend time with friends before I was gonna move out of the area and actually come up here to Portland. I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for food and cute girls and some time with my friends. And went to this camp, and all that was true about that camp, but God got a hold of my heart. And when the speaker was talking to us about this God who was seeking us, who was calling us into relationship with him, I felt like I was the only one in the room because the Holy Spirit of God was pulling me, calling me into this relationship. And in a moment, all this happened. I knew this was for me. I knew I wanted this relationship with God. I knew it was time to change my mind about who God was and to accept the reality that he wanted a relationship with me and I needed to really believe that. All that happened in a moment in my life. No longer was I gonna look for my identity in my grades and whether I had a girlfriend or not and how I was doing in sports and what my family and friends thought about me. I knew that this was a change of life direction for me. This wasn't about becoming a good person. This was about becoming a new person. And that's what happened. My life has never been the same since. And it's important for those of us who have answered God's call in our lives to remember what he's called us from and what he calls us to. In fact, scripture tells us to do this. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were what? When you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So have you responded to God's call? Because just like Abram, just like me, he is calling you into relationship with him. 
So what does that really look like then? Well, let's think about what it looked like for, for Abram. In that culture, family was everything. Families lived together. In fact, you did not leave your family unless you had good reason to. In fact, families were so bonded and community was so important that oftentimes you just kept adding on to your house in those cultures and family kept living there. Oftentimes, family all lived literally in the same dwelling, if not the same city, if not the same region, if not the same locale, and now Abram's being told to go, and he's not told where to go, just to go. Can you imagine how that conversation went with Sarai? Hey, honey, how's work today? Oh, it was great. God appeared to me and told me we need to leave. What? Seriously? So imagine what that was like and, and how, that, how that worked out. You ever had God come to you and tell you to go somewhere and not give you the details or to do something and not fill in all the blanks? That happened to my family 13 years ago. Those of you who were here 13 years ago recognize this picture. This was the picture of my family when we first came to Grace. This was the picture that um, was used when we were candidating and to introduce us to you and all those kids are young adults now. Jamie and I have raised our family here and you know, Jamie doesn't look a day older, does she? She still looks the same than she did. Me, I, you know, okay, be kind. But that was 13 years ago. God has given me the gift of sleep and it's folklore in my family. There's stories told about me in my family over and over again, sometimes weekly, that from the point that Jamie and I say goodnight, it's usually a second to two seconds and I'm asleep. Except for one night. And it was the culmination of years of God making it really clear that at my last church, that season of serving and leadership and involvement in that community was done but not telling us where we were gonna go, just that we were gonna go. And my sleepless night came when I realized we really were leaving and I did not know where we were going. And I had a wife who I dearly love and three little kids in tow and an uncertain future ahead of us without a lot of details. And I did not sleep that night because I thought, what in the world am I doing? Let's enter this story with Abram. We're not given these details, but even separate from what that conversation must have been like with Sarai, do you think he lost any sleep? Being told to leave everything that was familiar, everything that was comfortable, everything he had ever known, and told to go somewhere and not knowing where in the world that was gonna be? Now maybe you've never been there, but I would submit to you that you will at some point. Not necessarily told to leave your community, like Abram was and like my wife and I did 13 years ago. And by the way, we, we love you as our community. But isn't every day kind of like that? If we step back and think about this reality, doesn't God constantly call you and me to trust and obey him without always giving you the details? Aren't there times when you have a hard conversation you need to have that you know you need to have it and you're not sure how you're gonna do it? but you know the Lord wants you to. 
Or you're called to honor a commitment you made and you don't really feel like it, but you know you need to, and how in the world are you gonna do that? Or God very deliberately takes you into a season of suffering and he doesn't tell you why. He just says, trust and follow. Because the reality is, faith always involves trust and action. And that's what we see here in the life of Abram. He believes and trusts the promises of God. What, what amazing promises God gave him. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you a land. I'm gonna bless all people eventually through you and this without any descendants yet. With a wife who is well past childbearing years, how is that gonna work? And yet, Abram believes him, and he goes. And as I wrestle with that, it really makes me wonder, so what's the secret sauce here? How can I have a faith like that? And can I ever have a faith like that? And I think if we're honest with one another, there are times we come to people like Abraham, like Sarai or Sarah in her better moments and on down the road it goes with the men and women of scripture. We look at their lives, we look at their faith in God and secretly, honestly, we disconnect from that and we say, well, boy, that'd be great to be like that but I don't really believe I ever could. So what's the secret sauce so we can? Well, the, the answer is there is no secret sauce but this is the reality. The presence and promises of God are what motivated Abraham, or Abram, and the same can be true for you and me. If you know this God, if you have responded to his call on your life to enter into right relationship with him, he lives in your life through his Holy Spirit. You have his presence, and you certainly have his promises. He's written them down for you. You can have a faith like Abraham, but we want to make sure, though, that we avoid the extremes that can come with this. Because there's one extreme that says, well, you know, I'm just going to let go and let God. You know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not really going to do anything until God tells me to do something, which is laziness, really. That's not faith. On the other end, we can go to the other extreme where we say, well, you know, God's called me to action and that's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go for it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna live my life and then we call God in to bless what we're already doing. We will see Abram do that next week. He will make a catastrophic decision in his life without ever consulting God. He just goes and does it. And we'll see what happens as a result of that. We wanna avoid both extremes. We wanna be spirit-led, we wanna listen and inquire of God, but when he tells us to go, we need to go, even if he doesn't give us the details. And that's why Abram has an entire section devoted to him in Hebrews 11, which I like to call the Hall of Fame of Faith, where it lists all these great men and women of scripture. He gets the largest section, and this is how the section starts. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, catch this, even though he did not know where he was going. So, how is God asking you to trust him this morning? Proverbially, how is he asking you to go without giving you the details? 
on maybe where you're going or how to get there because at the end of the day, he calls us to obey him. But the reality is, if you obey God at all costs, it will cost you in order to do so. Once again, let's go back to Abram. What did it cost him to pull up stakes, to literally pull up tents, and to go without knowing where he was going? Well, everything familiar to him, he now left behind. Those things that were comfort, he now left behind. He now had to face his fears and insecurities and choose to trust God in the face of those. And the reality is, if you follow this God, it will cost you at times to do so. And that, really, the foundational question there is, well, is it worth it? Is it worth it to trust a God who doesn't always give you the details, who sometimes asks you to do hard things, who sometimes asks you to face into your fears and insecurities and to choose trust and obedience over those? Is it worth it? Absolutely, it's worth it. Abraham's a beautiful example of that. As opposed to his father, Terah. And again, we don't know this for sure, as I mentioned earlier, but I do think it's a very deliberate example. Here's Terah, Abram's dad, who gets about halfway where he was going and then he settles. Here's Abram, by contrast, who is told to go, and he goes, apparently without hesitation. He, he goes. Is it good to do things halfway? Is that a positive thing? I mean, in some situations maybe it is, but is it okay to be halfway obedient? I mean, I think of it this way. There are a number of projects around my house that are not completed. And there's one in particular that is halfway done. I have this sink that I need to replace that I've bought and it sits in this box in my garage mocking me every time I walk past it. And in fairness to me, I bought it before, you know, this last month and a half, which has been crazy for us, as I'm sure it is for a number of you. So things are returning to some normalcy now, and that box mocks me and reminds me that I'm halfway done with that project. So let's take that for a test drive. Is it good to be halfway done with something or to go halfway on something? Well, conventional wisdom says that if you're married, you know, you meet your spouse halfway and they meet you halfway and things are great. That is a tremendous mathematical formula. It is not a good relational one. And I can tell you from 27 years of marriage, from talking to a number of you who have been married a whole lot longer than I have and doing premarital counseling for 27 years with couples, that that formula is not a formula for a vibrant, growing, loving, sacrificing, serving marriage. It's great math, it's not great relationship. In many cases, going halfway is not enough. And when it comes to leaving the sin and brokenness in our lives, to leaving the past behind that keeps reaching out and trying to pull us back into it, partial obedience is still disobedience when it comes to obeying God. Is there something or some things in your life that you are still halfway on when it comes to following and trusting and obeying God? In our brokenness, we're tempted to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, good job, you're halfway there. Uh, No, partial obedience is still disobedience. And when God says to do something, the timing is always now. When God says go, it's now. 
It's not, I'll think about it, let me pray about that, let me weigh that out, I'm not sure if I could. No, when God calls us to follow him, it's, it's now, that's the timing. So will you obey him on his timetable and, and not yours? Because he wants to bless your life, but he can't bless your life and mine if we won't trust and obey him which brings us to that final piece here. And in reading this passage, which I have a number of times through the years, this has always slipped by me. And I love that about the word of God, how you can read something over and over again, years at a time, and through his Holy Spirit, he gives you new insight, or you look at something and go, I've never seen that before. And this was one of those occasions for me. Look at what it describes here at the end of this passage with Abram. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now as we've previously talked about, calling on the name of the Lord is Old Testament language for choosing to follow him, choosing to enter into relationship with him. And I've always read this as, yeah, Abram did that. Well, yes, Abram did that, but what he was doing here was very public and very deliberate. To build an altar was a public way of saying, this is the God I'm gonna follow now. And this picks up on where we left off last week, and that is you have a story to tell if you have answered this God's call on your life. It is the greatest story in the world. And if you've answered God's call on your life, it is your story. And he will give you opportunities to tell it. So are you? In the busyness of your life, in all the things that are coming at you and all the things you legitimately need to tend to and invest yourself into and spend your time on and give your focus to, are you looking for and taking opportunities to tell what Jesus has done for you? To tell how the call of God has has changed your life? Because this God is always at work, because he's always revealing himself to people, because he's always calling people into relationship with him, you are gonna have opportunities to tell your story, and so will I, and so do I. But in fairness, I know from talking with at least some of you, you don't do that. For a variety of reasons. You're busy. And it feels like one more thing to insert into your life, and quite frankly, your life is really busy. It feels like adding one more thing. Or there are some of you who are, quite honestly, you don't know how to do this. You've seen it done poorly, and you don't want any part of that. And others of you, you look at your life, and you think, well, who in my life do I get to tell this story to? And, and so it goes. And I just want to remind you once again, we've been talking about this for about a month because we're very deliberately building up to it and anticipating it and looking forward to it. In the next couple of months, we are going to very deliberately steer into this and give you some very practical equipping on how to do this, how to pray for opportunities, how to look for opportunities, how to take those opportunities without it feeling like some canned, polished you know, sales job, that's absolutely not what this is about. This is about telling the story of Jesus and doing it in the rhythm of your life without adding more business to your life, without looking at this and feeling like, oh, this is not me. Yeah, actually it is you. You can do this. And you are missing out on blessing in your life by not doing this. And if that's not compelling enough, where would you be today if you have answered the call of God if no one ever told you about who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do with your life? 
you can do this. And some of you, many of you actually are doing this and we will do this and I'm really looking forward to, to where we're headed with this. I, I think it's gonna bless you richly because you have a story to tell and it's the greatest story in the world. And it's a story that our world and our culture desperately is looking for. Over the break here, we got to go see Aquaman, which is the latest superhero movie that's out. This one's out, put out by DC. And the storyline's the same in all those stories. Do you realize that? I mean, it basically is the same. The heart of it is always the same. But I was really surprised by this as I'm watching Aquaman, which, okay, I'll try not to spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it, so I'll walk a careful line here. But there's a point in the story where he is gonna face this enemy that has defeated everyone who this enemy has ever faced. And he's either gonna win or he's gonna die. And he's being given this pep talk by his mom and his girlfriend, presumably going to be his wife, And his mom basically looks at him and says, you know what? This isn't about you becoming king, which is in part what this is about. He's gotta do this in order to become king and to unify the people. This isn't about you becoming the king. We don't need a king today. We need a hero today. We need someone who will fight for everybody. And that person is you. And of course, you know what's gonna happen from here, right? He goes and he fights and he defeats this enemy and he unites the people and he becomes the king. And at the point that all this culminates, I was really surprised by this. The whole theater erupted in applause. Everyone went (laughs) Because it was inspirational, because it was powerful, because it was compelling. But don't we have an even better story than that? Isn't the gospel about the ultimate hero? who fights for all the people, who ironically looks like he loses by being nailed to a cross. In actuality, that was the plan all along. He deliberately sacrifices himself so that we can have forgiveness and redemption and restoration and right relationship with God and others and self and land. He makes the highest sacrifice on our behalf. He gives his life so that we can have ours. And Aquaman, the way they set it up, there's gonna be a sequel. There's more movie to be made and more importantly, if you're one of the producers, more money to be made. So there's gonna be a sequel. But there's a sequel to this story because folks, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a fable. This is history. This really did happen. And the sequel is gonna be this. This redeemer, this deliverer, Jesus Christ, who through his death, burial, and resurrection has brought about God's plan of redemption, is going to complete that plan when he comes back. There's a sequel. He is coming back. Amen, brother. And communion celebrates and remembers all these realities that we've talked about here this morning. So we're gonna take it together and we're gonna celebrate together. So I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward and our communion servers to come forward. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. Make this an act of worship. And by that I mean, make this mean something. When you come forward to receive these elements and then to take them back to your chairs and hold on to them because we'll take communion together as a community here in just a little bit when everyone's been served. When you do that, 
Would you make that a response to what we've talked about here this morning? By your action, would you say, I am going to choose to hope, even when my circumstances say I shouldn't, or I'm going to respond to God's call this morning. Maybe you've never truly entered into right relationship with God by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You ask for that. You talk to him. You say, I want you in my life. And you respond to God's call. Or maybe this morning as you anchoring yourself once again to the promises of God. Maybe this is part of your act of obedience where you've put your finger, actually the Holy Spirit has probably helped you put your finger on something in your life where you're halfway obeying. And you're saying, I'm done with that. I'm gonna trust you and obey you fully. And maybe this is you saying, you know what? I need your help to tell your story because it's the best story in the world and it's the story that's changed my life. I don't know where things are at for you. But as the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, make this mean something as you take these elements. Take them back to your chairs, hold on to them, and then we'll remember communion together. So let's do that. Come forward. Come to the table. We can sing and say those words and mean them because of what Jesus has done for us. The Apostle Paul said it this way, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do that together. Lord, I'm so thankful that this is not a fairy tale, it's not a fable. This is a story a historical story of what you have done and what you're going to do. Lord, we long for the day that you will come back and complete your work of redemption, but we're so grateful that your promises and your presence are still real, that your spirit lives within us for those of us who know you and who've answered your call. And God, we're so grateful that we can trust you even when our circumstances say otherwise. Thank you that you are good You are loving, you are faithful, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who were here, you heard Pastor Jerry earlier in our service describe to you some of the ways that our resources that we collectively pool together in our fellowship fund are used to be a blessing to other people. So I'm gonna invite our ushers now to come forward and we're gonna receive our fellowship fund offering. Give as you're able to do so and we'll um, close our time with this song of worship. So let's worship together. the great I am and he calls all people to know him and to love him and experience him and there's there is nothing better than knowing this God nothing so don't settle for anything less if you still are wrestling with answering this call please don't hesitate any longer because when God comes to you and reveals himself to you and asks you to follow him just like he did Abram the timing is never yeah I'll give that a bit it's now he wants you to follow him 
And if you've made that choice this morning to do just that, would you please come tell one of us, tell the person who you came with. We would love to celebrate that with you because discovering and knowing this God is something we do not just as individuals, we do it in community. And so that's why if you're newer to our church family, you're checking things out, you're a guest, we wanna invite you and encourage you to come to Next, which is just out those doors in the back and down the hallway. We'd love to meet you and, uh, and help you begin to find community here. We have our prayer teams up here and off to the sides. They'd love to pray with you about anything that we can. And I'd like to leave you with these words from the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, after citing people like Abraham as examples of faith, then says this, and keep in mind, Abraham is one of these witnesses that's being referred to for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, godly, faithful men and women who have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the greatest story in the world and we now get to go tell it and live it. So I wanna pray God's blessing over you as we do that. Lord, thank you that you are the God who first seeks us, who calls us out of darkness into light, who rescues us from brokenness and promises something so much better. Lord, there is nothing better than knowing you, trusting you, following you. And thank you, God, that we have hope despite what circumstances may tell us. We can hope in you because you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You keep your promises, you keep your word, you do what you say you will do, and your plan, your purposes always ultimately prevail. So we anchor ourselves to that, and we go from here in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Bless you for being here. Go live for him. We'll hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.